From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of goal own goal joining me as always my main man from the lake roger mitchell hi mate hi how are you just you and i just you and i just you and i i am delighted to tell everybody who can't see us this time unfortunately that you've had your haircut finally yes i had my haircut uh, a little bit of pressure from the family so i uh, had that done um, <laughs> and that's that, that's good but more importantly where are you uh, where do i find you today you find me in las vegas of all places Las Vegas. Which, which, which I can you, say no more than that. What are you doing? What are you doing there? <laughs> what are you doing there? Never you mind what I'm doing here. Never you mind what I'm doing here, Roger. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that, right, folks? Just uh, keep an eye on the Google search the next couple of days. People mysteriously falling off the top of the Bellagio. Just keep an eye. <laughs> you know, listen. You joke about this stuff. If anything was to happen, Rog, this is, this could this could be some kind of document. I, I, I'm not sure I'm happy with your tone about all this nonsense. We, we, we know sure the truth. We know the truth. Well, mate, um, goal on goal is the subject at hand. Always a fun, slightly time. different show. So, uh, slightly different. <laughs> slightly different show. Slightly different show. But as is my want, I am going to do the gentlemanly thing. I'm going to allow you to go first. What have you got for me this week? Well, uh, what have I got? Uh, you, you know, we we've had um, a run of pretty serious stuff on the groundsman. You know, we had a really really technical episode. And it went down super well. And, you know, on Twitter, we did some threads on macrofinance and macro geopolitics strategy and football, and they went down well as well. But, you know, sometimes it's just kind of like too much. It's too intense. You know, like we take ourselves too seriously, man. So like sometimes you you just got to look at the absurdity of life. Do you not? You know? And, and I do. Uh, Mate, listen, uh, I, I, and, I'm, well, know, I'm well acquainted with it. Yeah, so like th- this week, you know, I-, I just kept my eye out for these things that it's really juvenile to like look at this stuff. But I just, you know, I've- I love to look at the absurdity and stuff and just say, like, is this going on in life? So what I've got for you this week, it starts with um, it starts with a tweet from a previous guest, uh, Joe Markovsky from The Zone. Um, <laughs> Um, the, the kind of like Damon Alburn of the sports industry, you know, that, you know, tall young guy, <laughs> the floppy blonde hair, super cool. And anyway, he doesn't tweet a lot. So when he does tweet, um, I noticed that his tweet came up, I think it was about a week ago. He said, uh, not something I expected to read on a Monday morning. <laughs> right, that's the tweet. And, and what, he's, what he's reposted is this, this, uh, this article. Ned Diaz advised against signing new UFC deal by British political advisor Dominic Cummings. <laughs> have, you heard of, have, you, have you heard about this? <laughs> I know, I know Dominic Cummings is, but I hadn't heard the story. No. Man, man, you cannot, you cannot believe this. And, and to, just to give you an idea... Like, you know, this happened to me Monday a week ago, something like that. And, and like for two or three days, you know, and with my wife in the, in the living room watching films and I'm just like chuckling, giggling. She got really angry, <laughs> said, what are you laughing? <laughs> and I eventually had to tell her the whole story. She said it was like that we never grow beyond 11 years old, we men. But you, you know, you know what I, so like, <laughs> you know, you know, like, so Dominic Cummings, in the middle of the tweets, I don't know if you've seen these. I don't follow him, but I, I had I had um, I had a look at what he posts, and it's all kinds of stuff, and lots of it very very serious. But in the middle of it all, he's replying to Nate Diaz, who's a UFC fighter, right? Um, and I'm now quoting: "Do not sign a new UFC contract. You will make more money outside, and Dana White will come uh, do a deal. It's bad English at some point for trilogy with notorious MMA, which is Colin McGregor." Uh, but outside, you'll have much more leverage and much and make much more dollar. Look how they Scrooge George St. St. Pierre now waiting for contract to expire. Now, this is a pretty, detail, pretty detailed tweet on uh, fucking MMA. And um, you think, Jesus, so like uh, that's that's what Joe has uh, it referred to. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, it wouldn't be anything if it stopped there. So um, none other than 
Conor McGregor replies to this, you know, in, in his um, his habitual way of like heavy, heavy insults, both to Dominic Cummings and also to <laughs> Nate Diaz, um, heavy stuff. Uh, and um, of course, not content with that, Dominic Cummings replies to Mr. McGregor. You'll both, both for some reason is in inverted commas, both make much more uh, dollar if uh, Nate negotiates from outside UFC, just as you and Floyd Mayweather, both again in inverted commas, I'm not sure why he needs to be there, made a ton more dollar because he was outside UFC. Nate can market your trilogy better while kicking shit out of Jake Paul, etc. first. You know I'm right. So does George St. Pierre. Gets to mention George St. Pierre. <laughs> but at this point, Joe comes on with another tweet. He says, what the fuck is going on? Because, like, seriously, what is going on, Grant? You know, for anybody that doesn't know who Dominic Cummings, who doesn't know who Dominic Cummings is, he was this kind of like strategic main advisor to Boris Johnson um, that took us through Brexit and also through COVID. And, and, and you know, claim to frame probably in his uh, political obituary is that whilst driving 260 mile round trip uh, to break COVID rules, he claimed he needed to do that to test his eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the I mean, it's like it's like fucking Monty Python this stuff. So out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he comes up with this. You know, I'm the MMA guru for negotiating sports rights. But the story doesn't finish there, Grant. It doesn't finish there. <laughs> it doesn't. Mister Cummings leaves the anecdote, but Mister McGregor doesn't. Mister McGregor Funny doesn't. That. <laughs> funny, funny that right so what happens and, and, and here now um, this is, becomes rather an Italian thing I'm pretty certain that you won't know about this Conor McGregor makes his way to Rome um, and it, it transpires later he did that for the baptism of his son so like a nice like uh, family traditional right. you know peaceful <laughs> peaceful occasion so um, the, the the new character in the in the the anecdote is a chap called Francesco Facchinetti, who is um, a kind of like B-list celebrity, son of a, a a band that was popular in the sixties and seventies in in Italy, a little bit like Brotherhood of Man, kind of like NAF band. Even <laughs> e e Jesus, that's a very obscure reference, Ross. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. It's just it's quite Brotherhood good. of Men. Yeah, I mean they're they're in that kind of whole light pop kind of thing. Univers How many people listen to this podcast without <laughs> a clue who Brotherhood of Men are? You, me, maybe Giles if he's listening. I'm telling you, they, they all know. They Colin, all, perhaps they all know. They all know. So, but anyway, the point is, you've got the picture, and he's the son of one of them, uh, and like he's even more kitsch than the original father, you know, and he's not well liked. And and you know he's um he's got this hipster beard and he was losing his hair and he's now got this ridiculous hair weave and he's into all this kind of like cool virtue signaling oh he's like you know in Glasgow parlance he's a fanny right he he is <laughs> <laughs> you know like he's not a good in like do you know what I mean so uh, what 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 happens have you do you remember the film The Hangover you know the one. The, the, I do right. Okay, you know that scene when Mike Tyson appears for the first time. Yeah, you know, like, and you've got Phil Collins in the air tonight, whack, and he he downs that guy. <laughs> you know what's coming. You know what's coming now. So uh, uh, rather than explain to you what's coming, I'm going to read to you the 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 story of the wife, the wife of Francesco Facchinetti, who was at this uh, event. Uh, I'm translating as it's in Italian, this, but I'm translating. It should have been a beautiful evening. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I've got I've got my my asthma puffer here because like, <laughs> I find this. I need to take it if it's, if it's, I laugh too much. We were invited to a hotel to know Conor, Conor McGregor. Uh, he was in Italy to baptize his son. We had fun. We were enjoying ourselves. We spoke for hours. And then, and then out of nothing. Right, you need to take a deep breath because we're not going to get this story out of you. Out of nothing. 
he threw a bunch of Francesco and floored him. <laughs> and he fell backwards through a table <laughs> and aimed it against the wall. And, and I, so this, this is this actually happened in McGregor. For like, I don't blame him. Like they, she says here, they were there two hours, right? How you could stay in the company of this guy for two hours and not throw a punch is beyond me. So I think Connor needs a medal for this. But of course, Francesco um, went on to social media, Instagram, TikTok, and explained explained the horrors the horrors of the evening in quite a lot of detail. It's in both English and Italian. If if we were doing this live, we would have put it up now, but. But um, we don't, uh, you know, he could have killed me. He's a violent and dangerous man. Please avoid him at all costs. And of course, <laughs> and of course, now he's he's pressing charges <laughs> for the baptism of his son. <laughs> ah, Rog. So that's that's my that's my goal it's, of the week. It's the little things. It's the I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's the absurdities. Uh, life is so bloody, like, overwhelming sometimes. You've got to look for these. Like, Fellini-esque, you know, you look at all these situations yeah. from afar and you think, this is just Dominic Cummings. I, I, <laughs> Dominic Cummings. I mean, like, doesn't I, make I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've, got, I've got another absurd one for you. Did you hear about the um, the Nottingham Forest player um, who threw his shirt into the crowd at the end of the Bristol City game? No, no. This guy, this guy, Jed Spence, his name is, D-J-E-D Spence. Um, and Forrest basically, he, he, he scores two goals in injury time. So Forrest win 2-1 away at Bristol City. And he gets so um, excited about scoring the winner that he rips his shirt off and throws it into the crowd, right? Shirt's gone <laughs> because the final whistle's gone, right? Shirt's gone. And Nottingham Forrest have put out... Uh, a thing on social media saying, um, look, we need the shirt back because it had his GPS tracker in it and we need it for all the stats, all the <laughs> yeah. stats that we're compiling on his on his averages. <laughs> so they said that you can keep the skirt you can keep the shirt, but can we have the tracker back, please? Um the last I saw of this thing, the tracker hadn't hadn't re-emerged yet. But I'm thinking to myself, how good's this GPS tracker? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, if I can't find it, then what exactly is it doing? Plus you, you've got to imagine, you've got to imagine, by the time they get it back, what good are the stats going to be? I mean, the game was at Bristol City. The game was at Bristol City. So it's going to look like he's run all the way back to Nottingham on his GPS tracker. That's funny. You know, like, the, 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 the things about all these crazy... I mean, I, I've, I've been fortunate to... I've seen a couple of these. I wanted to tell. I don't think I've told you this one. This one that I was... Uh, when I was advising the Israeli uh, Football League... I was doing that for three or four years. And, you know, uh, any football league in the world, Grant, it's what you imagine. It's, it's club owners arguing. You know, you see these stories yeah, yeah. everywhere, even in American sport. Less so there, but certainly, certainly here. But in the med countries, I mean, like Italy, which I know well, uh, it's off the scale. <laughs> it's off the scale. So, so, uh, so I was there in Tel Aviv. And of course, I don't speak Hebrew. So like um, the funny bit about this is is the translator, you know, because it, that, so what happens is this, there's this really serious um, meeting with the clubs about media rights and the strategy. Are we going to do our own channel? Are we going to, you know, use it as a stalking horse? The usual story. And um, as we're in this meeting, this meeting is still going on. One of the, the major digital publishers you know, starts leaking the story, not reporting what's going on in the room, like word for word. So uh, it all kicks off. Uh, somebody's leaking and we all know who it is, don't we? Uh, accusations of this guy. I can't, uh, even if I, if I, I, I can't remember the club. I can't remember him. Um, he obviously had a reputation as a leaker. And, and you know, this escalated real quick, Grant. I mean, I'm talking mm. like, you know, against the wall, you know, uh, all that and, and and this girl's translating for me, you know, like uh, he's now saying this <laughs> poor girl because it was just like ridiculous stuff, and and, and like at a certain point it it went to another level of of ridiculous, and I can tell something serious was wrong at this point, I, I, and uh, I said to the girl, what's happening now? 
And he said, well, this guy's defending himself. He's fed up with everybody accusing him. He's not the leaker. He's not the leaker. And um, he wants to prove it. And uh, he's <laughs> he's demanding a lie detector test. <laughs> And like, you know, I, I look around and um, the, the argument is still going on and everything like that. And I say to the girl, I say, I'm, I'm, maybe it's me, but I mean, do you folks have lie detector machines at every mini market? Is it like a photocopier here? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, so yeah, so it was re- re- really, really bizarre. And like, it, it escalated more and more. And, you know, uh, she, he demands a lie. And, and obviously the, the, somebody serious, as they always do, said, look, if people could see us now, um, they would say these people are supposedly running Israeli football. It's a joke. It's all a joke. We need to calm down. We need to be professional. It calms down. Um, later in the day, uh, I'm with the chairman of the of the league, and he and he says, "Look, I need to leave the I need to leave the office." I said, "Where are you going?" Uh, he said, "Look, you won't believe this, but this guy didn't drop it, and we're off to do the lie detector test." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, but the moment's passed. What is the point? What is the point? The moment's yeah. passed. No, but he says he needs to clear his name. He needs to clear his name. Um, 40 minutes later, the chairman comes back to me and says, look, you must not say this ever. You know, nobody will believe you anyway because you don't speak Hebrew or anything like that. But I'm just telling you this. He failed it. <laughs> Oh man! I'm telling you, absurdities are all over the place, man. You've got to yeah, seek them out. Kidding. You've got to seek them out. Anyway, what have you got for me? Uh, you know, I've got I've got one on um, I've got one on baseball, Rod. You've got one on baseball, which is uh, a little bit more serious and a little bit lengthier, and brings together so many threads of what we've talked about, and that is the attempts to kind of modernise a game for a new audience and the resisting of changes to that. It's it's a fascinating story that was in Bloomberg that. Uh, the one and only producer James flagged to me this week. And um, it's fascinating. You know, the, the rules of baseball have essentially been unchanged since the modern era began in around 1901, right? The only changes they've made, not to the rules, but they've I think they've lowered the pitcher's mound by five inches. They brought in the designated hitter, which yeah. the, the, uh, the National League still refused to, to go along with. And I think that's it. I think there might be one other minor rule change that's happened in, in that 120-odd years. But that's it. And this is this is a, a game that has a few rules, very simple rules. But what we've seen is post the era of Moneyball, uh, you know, another thing that we've talked about at length, we've seen the games get, quote-unquote, more boring. Because what the Moneyball stuff obviously found out was that just getting on base was the, was the yeah. way to, to win championships, whether it's where a walk or whatever it may be. So there have been you know, far fewer um, home runs. The fielding has changed dramatically and the number of triples scored, which is someone stretching to get to that third base and sliding into it and almost getting tagged out, that's all gone down. Yeah. People yeah. sliding and stealing bases, that's all gone down. So all the excitement has really come out of baseball since, this, uh, since the year of Moneyball. And so they're trying to figure out ways, trying to bring how do we change the game to get more excitement into it. And it is because the younger audience is saying, this just doesn't do it for me. So mm-hmm. we, we've now got, for us, for, for us here at our United Entertainers, this is the perfect perfect situation for us to watch how this runs. Because you have got one of the oldest, most traditional games of all time that's remained largely untouched for the longest time, now experimenting with only little things, Roger, that, that, that I mean, they've made the bases uh, three inches bigger. Three inches which you can't tell from the stands, but obviously that's a fraction of a second. It gives you more time to slide into the base. They're talking about moving the pitchers, the line that the pitcher has to pitch from behind back five inches. Again, you can't even see it, but obviously the speed of the baseball is going to deteriorate in those extra five inches, making it easier for hitters. They're talking about robot strike callers. So you get a robot that basically picks out the strike zone to avoid getting, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of VAR, if you like, right? But it's yeah, live, yeah, sure. live VAR. Sure. And so you've got the players up in arms about it. They all hate it. You've got the uh, general managers all saying, uh, many of them are saying they're for it because obviously it's going to bring excitement back to the game, which brings bigger audiences, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got a real, a real conflict here, Roger, a real battle of traditional versus modern, change the rules versus do things just 
for the sake of excitement and uh, social media, make things go viral. It's everything we've been talked about wrapped up yeah. into one little yeah. story. And I think this one is going to be a real test case for this because you know you've pointed out previously about the average age of the baseball audience being yeah, yeah. being it's as old as it is. I forget what the number is, but it's in the forties somewhere. Right? High no, 40s. it's nearly sixty. 60s. I, I, I still don't believe that's true. I don't see how that can be the case. If you think about the average being 60, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, <laughs> but I, I will concede, I'm sure it's in the, in it's the high. 40s, it's high. which again is too, is, is too old. So I, I, think, I think this is going to be a really interesting test case for this because the changes they want to make, they're trying out in the Atlantic League, which is a league that is not affiliated with the Major League Baseball, so it doesn't have the same collective bargaining power. There's no unions in there. So it, it means that the players can't protest these changes. And all this is happening at the time when the, uh, when the new baseball players' collective bargaining agreement is due to be negotiated. So everything you can imagine, Rog, is yeah. wrapped up in this story. Yeah. The story is really just beginning, but I think this is one that we are going to have to follow very, very closely. What, what, what can I say that I haven't <laughs> said for a, a, a while now? Uh, it's difficult to move an elephant and, and teach it to dance. You know, that was, what was it, Lou Gerstner's book, wasn't it, about IBM. You can't teach the elephant to dance. Big organisation, big institutions, specifically ones that are traditional, that people love the tradition, getting them to do new tricks is really tough. That That's that's why, you know, challenger leagues, I, I think, are a, a much less painful way to do what you want to do with, younger audiences uh baseball as you correctly say grant is the poster child for whether they can turn this around you know i i think it was a couple of episodes ago i, I was saying that i think baseball's not a threat really for for even something like the mls and american sport going forward the format's too long our friends at buzzer may change things like that by bringing in the notifications for the hot moments uh, and that'll be super interesting to see what that does for sport what it does for the value of sports rights but in the main, fundamentally, baseball just is not an exciting sport. It just isn't, you know. I, no, I, no, I, 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 I don't disagree with you unless you're a purist, and that, and that's what this is all about, right? This is a battle for the purists, or in the purist's eyes, for the heart and soul of a sport. I mean, that's it's it's nothing less than that. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is the the big conundrum. Uh, how do you look after the heart and soul? Uh, the way Keith Pelly was talking about and, and and remembering those traditions and and still you know uh, go um, and not fall into the innovators dilemma that you know you you have to get new audiences that want something completely different. It's fascinating. There's there's a couple of other examples that I saw this week around that, but um, you know let's leave all that stuff for the groundsman. Um, but well, yeah, well, I mean, I mean look, Roger, I've, I've got some more stats here on, on on the major leagues, right? So the the yeah. the average time of a nine-inning baseball game has gone from 150 minutes in 1980 to almost 200 minutes today. Ridiculous. Just so it was ridiculous. two and a half hours. It's up there, you know. The, the number of strikeouts has gone from, I think, four to nine in that time. So there's less people getting on base. That number of home runs, it's, yeah. like it's gone up since the 80s, but it's starting to fall off. Doubles are down, triples are down. You know, all the exciting stuff you're really struggling with. And it's... Um, it's a huge problem for them. I mean, it really is. And as I say, we're, we're throwing this collective bargaining agreement and the changes that they need to get the players to agree to. And if you think about it, what they're trying to do is pad the stats of the hitters, great, and make it really difficult for the pitchers. You know, they're trying yeah. to get the pitchers' uh, records to go off. And obviously this is all performance-based. All the conversation is going to be based on your stats. And you put, how do you... How do you adjust this? It, it's it's a, it's a massive, massive story, and it's really just getting started. Yeah, yeah. You can't buck the market, Grant. You can't buck the market. There's just I do not believe there is an awful lot of product market fit for a sport that that takes over three hours. I mean, I, I watched F one uh, yesterday, um, and you know how much I've been a, a fan of that, and how much they've done in creating narrative and um, drive to survive and everything like that. Um, that said. Middle part of that race yesterday, Snoozeville. I mean, just Snoozeville. Yeah. Apart, apart right. from the, apart from the, the real, real, um, the real fans like you know uh, David Cushing and the leaders. He's a big Formula One guy. But in the main, just like you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on Twitter or I'm watching, I'm watching another game. It's um, 
you know, another thing that I saw this week, uh, a previous guest we had on one of the specials we did for SRI, uh, Joe Coates, who was the chief executive of British Athletics. And when I came, when she did our, our thing about uh, six months ago, she just started there. She, I think I'm right in saying she'd done a magnificent job with England's women netball. She was clearly an innovator, clearly very, very talented. And it came across in that interview that she was um, she was struggling with the, the, the lack of flexibility in the athletics world. You know, even changing the plasticine in the long jump. It was a little bit like John Inverdale was saying, you know, no, mm-hmm. you do have to change, you know. So she, she packed it in this week. She's gone, you know, and that's another sport that has lost a change agent because they don't want to change. They, I, I think they would rather die holding on to their traditions than to try and find a, a new product market fit. That's why the challenger leagues are just going to eat their lunch, man. They're just going to eat their lunch. Yeah, this this flexibility around different formats and stuff. And, and look, for, kudos to you. You flagged this for a long, long, long time now, long before it, it was becoming something that was being talked about in general. You were on this. And, um, you know, I was sceptical. I was sceptical of it and... I remain sceptical, but not because I'm right, <laughs> just because I'm old. Oh, yeah, you, you, no, yeah, yeah, you, you don't want it to change. Well, you know, you, you're, you're, anyway, anyway, you know, we've, we've done that before. Um, I wanted to, like, um, come at another thing that slightly linked to that big thread I did this week on football, geopolitics and strategy. Um, yeah, which was a fantastic thread. If anyone hasn't seen it out there, it was really, yeah. really good. And at the end of it, you know, in my kind of like prickly way, was kind of like um, um, a wee bit, a wee bit punchy. I said, "Look, nothing, of it, none of this has got to do with, you know, you watching Forest Fulham, whatever it was, or you hoping for sporting meritocracy, because it doesn't." And 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 you know, I, I want to layer that on a bit. This would be my own goal this week: a collection of things about, you know, the reality. Because uh, I do get annoyed sometimes with all what I call these purist romantics. That some of them get very popular podcasts. Um, other than them, I've got you know very popular Twitter uh, handles, and they go on and on about minutiae. You know, has the Bury Board of Directors issued new shares to replace the debt, and are they paying themselves a div- You know, like honestly, it's like moving the deck chairs where the Titanic goes down. In my view, in my view, right. And here, here's something that backs this up a little bit: the, the latest outbreak of the Panama Papers all the money that's been hidden. You know, uh, there was a good few um, football names in there, Ancelotti, Mancini, I think even Viali. All kinds of, the ways that you do it to hide money and and fiscal paradises and things like that. Monica Bellucci uh, was another name. And why did I mention her? Well, why not? It's Monica Bellucci. So uh, let's get her name in there. Tony Blair was in there. uh, As you would expect, no good party without Tony. Without Tony. Um, (laughs) And, and, and like, you know, so, so you know, and I'm just thinking, fucking hell, you know, like um, all this dosh going nowhere near these accounts, these reports and accounts that all these people pour over and are subscribed to Companies House. And I'm just thinking, mate, 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 you're looking at the wrong place. You're not going to see anything there. You know, I, 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 I remember, you know, back in the 80s, a uh, big, big transfer. Lentini went from Torino to AC Milan for a record amount of money, a huge amount of money at the time. Uh, and, and all of that was was from black money from Berlusconi. Uh, that went to trial and, and, and as often in Italy, he got off because of um, statute limitations. So this isn't new, but there's a couple of things I want to try and give you a laugh with here uh, because, you know, again, in, in the absurd grant, I know you're a Fulham fan, but do do you watch the Champions League? God, that hurts, Rog. Yeah, I do watch it. Well, you know, all these wee teams. One day, one day. No, yeah, good. Okay, because there's a whole lot of these wee teams. He's wee, I'm happy about that. Yeah, um, all all these wee teams that, oh yeah, I'm fed up with big, big, big time Charlie football. I don't even watch the Champions League. That's why I asked you. Well, anyway, there's a team in the Champions League this year. Have you heard of Sheriff Tari Spall? Have you heard of them? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I saw the result this week. Right, well, um, this is a team that went to Real Madrid in the Champions League and won. They are the champions of Moldova. Moldova. Correct. Um, Yeah, so they went and beat uh, Real Madrid 2-1 and they also, I think, held Inter Milan to a draw. So they're doing pretty well. So did a wee bit of research on them because um, what the hell's their story? You know what I mean? 
And as always, there's a dark, there's a darker tale, you know. So let me read this. I'm, I'm reading this from an article. Uh, this is from Give People Credit, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, um, some okay. kind of publication, right? Um, Sheriff Taris Paul is part of a larger business empire f- founded by two men with shadow pasts. Uh, not only dominates business, but politics also in Transnistria, a breakaway region of Moldova that borders Ukraine and is dependent on the Kremlin for support. So again, a huge geopolitical, hugely part of the Ukraine-Russia struggle. So this guy, these two guys, these two brothers uh, have got an empire uh, that comprises supermarkets, gas stations, construction companies, hotels, mobile phone network, uh, bakeries, a distillery, uh, many media empire, uh, and of course, uh, the football club. They are estimated, these two brothers, to control 60% of the region's economy. And of course, they are supported by um, our friend Vladimir. Uh, Vladimir has got 2,000 troops in this breakaway region. So uh, these people, uh, they are pro-Russian separatists. They declared independence in 1990 from Moldova. They still play in the Moldova League. That's really interesting. That just shows you, you know, uh, the three monkeys, you know. uh, (laughs) They they declare they're not part of Moldova, but hey, I'll get into the Champions League through the the Moldova uh, coefficient. No problem there. So they, they, um, they declared independence in 1990 because they were scared that um, their region was going to reunify with Romania as the Soviet Union fell apart. Two years later, these separatists fought government forces in a conflict that left nearly 600 dead. Um, So it's now uh, um, this independent region um, fighting uh, 2,000 troops from Putin. Uh, It's got its own border police, army currency, and hammer and sickle emblazoned flag, not the Moldovan flag. Uh, It's not recognised internationally, but Moscow unofficially backs the separatist self-declared government, uh, supplying it, um, as no surprise, with free energy, etc., etc. It is uh, being described as a lawless land caught in a Soviet time warp. Now, Ironic, ironic that this lawless land would have a football team called Sheriff. Well, this is... Jesus, you took the the punchline out, Martin. Oh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, good for you. Good for you. But the point, the point is, the, the point is, man, you know, like, um, th- th- this is a shit show, right? I mean, there's no doubt that this place is in the middle of, as it says, a Soviet time warp that in something out of a George Smiley type novel. But hey, they've got a great football team. They, they took three points off Real. They held right. Inter to a point. You know, like, who gives a shit? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but let's have a look at the accounts of Berry United and see what's going on there. You know, another one um, this week, and, uh, because I was looking out for this stuff this week, you know, so uh, this this is from Inside World Football. This guy that owns AK Athens has been found guilty of um, funneling stolen money from his company into AK. So like, it's a 200 million fraud um, in the New York um, accounting fraud. It's going through the, the, the American courts, blah, 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 uh, everything you can imagine. And, and the really funny stuff is like they've obviously got emails and, you know, the emails are talking about in another email um, regarding EAK's budget to the end of 2017, the accountant identified a deficit of 3.5 million euros for 16-17 season and another 5 million deficit for 17 and 18. Uh, The proposed solution was casually a potential loan from the holding company in the range of, let's say, 5 million to cover the cash deficit. You ain't going to see that in financial fair play. With all the will in the world, you're not going to see that. So let's, let's just call a spade a spade. You know, this is a, a geopolitical, this sport I'm talking about, a geopolitical pawn for the use of um, Arab nation states, Russian oligarchs, American private equity guys, and more interestingly, these two examples show the kind of like um, the Eastern Europe kind of like struggle to uh, escape or uh, be embraced by uh, Putin's Russia. Um, very little to do with 442 and pie and bovril, I would suggest, Mr. Williams. Well, look, Roger, I mean, you, you, you talk about that. It brings up a subject that happened since our last um, goal on goal, and that's the Newcastle takeover. And, we, you know, we, we talked about it a bit, but I haven't really had a chance to get your your take on that because I, I, your take is one that um, 
I'd like to hear, frankly, because it's, again, it's, it's fraught in so many different ways. And what we saw in the, in the weeks leading up to the approval was all the stuff you've talked about that goes on in the back rooms. All that stuff was all in play. So just give, give everybody your breakdown of that Newcastle takeover because it's, 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 it, you know, it creates the richest soccer club in the world. So it's important. Yeah, I remember we talked about it at length with uh, Kelvin McKenzie when he was uh, the yep. guest. Kelvin, um, even more than me, is a libertarian, you know, laissez-faire, um, whatever it takes. Uh, and, and you know, I was saying on this one, I said, look, I think if Scudamore was there, this would have gone through uh, at the time. It was always going to go through. It, it was always going to th- go through. Yeah, yeah, um, I, think I agree. So listen, there's two or three ways to look at this. Uh, did you see the Formula One uh, Grand Prix yesterday, Grant? Did you watch it? No, I didn't. I just saw the highlights at the end. Right. It was actually title sponsor, not just the billboards, title sponsor Aramco. Aramco. Now, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's Saudi Arabia. You know, that's Saudi yeah, Arabia's. No, uh, uh, yep, yep. Right. So, like, you know, I, I've got a real issue with half-pregnant morality. I, you, you know that's one of my bugbears. So unless you want to not uh, take Saudi money into the private equity fund that's uh, financing uh, whatever fund is taking over rugby or whatever, uh, and, and unless you want to stop selling arms to them, give me a break a wee bit, you know? Uh, you can't be half pregnant in this. I believe we already are where we are, uh, as, as I said, both in that thread this week, but consistently over the last three years. Uh, football is, is not a sport anymore. It is a geopolitical tool. Uh, and it certainly is a business. How, how do I look at it? You know, maybe this is awful, but good on the Geordies. They deserve a break because that is a proper club. You know, uh, yep. with all due with all due respect, Grant, and I'm not, I'm not being just nasty here. But see, Al Fayed buying your club that that's not right for me because with all, with all respect, you're a marginal player in the football ecosystem. Newcastle is a proper club. And, you know, uh, they, they struggle because they live in a part of the country that's not attractive to the talent, difficult to find an accommodation with the athletes. They won't come up there. The wife certainly won't come up there. Everything like that. So for them to get a break and for the Geordies to get a break, given this half-pregnant morality, I personally don't have a problem with it. But, you know, it's not whether I have a... Nobody cares whether I have a problem with it or not. It's It's what does this mean now? What it means for the English Premier League is that you've got another potential candidate for those four solitary spots for the Champions League. So that means more people, more big clubs, so-called big clubs are going to miss out, which means more FOMO, which means what you see um, this week. Um, We're going to not allow you to do your sponsorships that we know are all kind of like doped up, you know. But that's that's not just uh, Newcastle. The other clubs have done that as well. Uh, so already the English Premiership, the clubs are having a wee pop there, and I think that will weaken their their unity, and, and and you know what the the waves about what it creates elsewhere and the, the project for the Super League, uh, and Infantino's plans because Saudi were always going to be one of the one of the financiers of the Super League and you know the World Club Championships. I welcome it. I must admit that doesn't mean I condone what's happened with Khashoggi or or the fact that it's not a democracy because neither's Qatar and neither's the UAE and and as far as I'm aware neither is Russia and 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 with those three four names I've probably covered five of the six of the top clubs in Europe uh, so give me a wee bit of a break and just let the Geordies have a nice time it, it, is that sound bad Grant that's how I feel about it. Well, yeah, it's a tough one, Rog. It's a tough one. As you were, you were right, this was always going to go through. We said that at the time. We said it'll go through, and of course, it goes through because money is really all that matters in in the football world these days. Unfortunately, geopolitics, and, and, and in many cases, geopolitics, broader sport. Yeah, but 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 it's not. It's, it comes down to money and power, Rog. Ultimately, that's all it is, right? And we yeah. we, we knew this was going to happen. I, I'm inclined to be in your camp. You know, I think you're right. I think Newcastle is a proper club. And, you know, the, the most recent memory that we have of them having success was that wonderful Keegan team back in the 90s who were just an absolute joy to watch, you know. And having watched the, the games this this weekend, and, and one of the things that I want us to come on to is the Man United-Liverpool game yesterday. But to, to see the kind of football that this money buys as a neutral is just wonderful to watch, right? But, but again, it comes down to that idea, Rod, you know, uh, is that enough to make you forget about 
the moral side of things. And I would argue for most fans, it is. I don't think anyone's oh, going to no worry about, about that. No doubt about the that. The moral side of it. If their team's no sticking six, six, six in. So it's, it's, it's a tricky one. But unfortunately, when the only outcome about this, what matters to the fans themselves who are going to buy the tickets and put the money in the pockets of the club is the result, game over, right? I think so. You know, and again, I'm a great believer that um, every, what's that phrase? Every every people, every population gets the the government that it really deserves. The leader they deserve, yep. Yeah, um, and, and frankly, I've said this from one of our first episodes in season one when I told the Darren Jackson story about brain surgery and then the second missed pass, you've been stealing a wage for, for the last three years. That yeah, football yeah. fans don't give a shit. You know, they are not this wonderful philosophical beast that reasons things out. I've seen it very close up in Italy where a lot of shady characters are involved in football. I asked people about it when I was a younger man and I was a more of a, an idealist and, and they said, we don't give a damn, just as long as he's got the money to buy Batistuta. Don't give a damn. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, that's uh, exactly uh, right. And, and, and that's the reality. And, and, and frankly, you know, um, if it's going to go to somebody, I prefer it goes to the Geordies. Than, than some nothing team or like marginal wee team uh, that has got no history. Um, uh, football in the northeast of England is is needed. You know, Brian Clough comes from there. You know, Charlton boys. It's a serious place. And I'm looking forward to seeing St. James's packed out. I well, that sounds horrible, just, but that's what I feel. That's well, they've not had a problem packing the stadium, right? even playing mediocre Football, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that, that proves the point, I think. But let, let's let's talk quickly about that um, Man United Liverpool game yesterday. I mean, quickly, how do you was, talk quickly about that, Grant? Absolutely, I I don't even know what the if embarrassing, humiliating. I mean, pick pick your uh, adjective, but I mean, it was just it was I couldn't believe what I was watching, Rog. Frankly, what do you mean you couldn't believe what you were watching? We've talked about this consistently. No, about- no, I know, but 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 still, it, it, it's that it's Liverpool. Right, it's Liverpool, and yes, United. We know that they've they've eked out results, but their football hasn't been anything like the results they've got. Yes, they kind of were in the mix a bit last year, which surprised everybody and gave everyone a, a bit of a false impression of how good the team was doing. But this season, we've seen some poor performances, but that on Sunday, that was just an absolute embarrassment. In every way. You, I mean, Liverpool, uh, it, it, mm. Liverpool were too embarrassed to score more in the second half, frankly. Yeah, no, they, they, I think they, they, they did that out of respect. I didn't think Liverpool played that well, to be honest. I didn't think they played that well. Um, Man United, as Paul School said, um, after he was asked to celebrate the win over Atalanta three or four days earlier, the comeback, he said, look, don't be ridiculous. You might want to celebrate, but I'm telling you, they do that against Liverpool. They're 4-0 down at halftime. One of the greatest calls of all time against the, the tide of silly euphoria um, against a, a, an Atalanta team that didn't have a defence in the second half. Um, this has been coming for Man United for, for a long, long, long time. Uh, and um, I, I've not never been a, an Ollie fan. You know, with Duncan Castles, we were on quite a lot about yep. Ollie's yep. background, also some of it rather shady um, in, in the Norwegian clubs and his relationship with his agent. Um, I've never been a fan. Um, I've, I've never taken to that kind of like folksy little, little boy, you know, uh, we'll all do this, we're united. I, I, I never, never bought that. Um, totally out of his depth. Totally out of his depth. You know, a- a- anybody that knows football, um, not just yesterday, but all the way through, um, knows that he doesn't know how to set up a team, doesn't know how to defend, uh, doesn't know how to press in unison. And then, you know, the teams he's put together, even if he didn't know how to do it, he's not got the players that will do it. Ronaldo's not going to press, Fernando's not going to press, uh, Pogba's certainly not going to press. Uh, and that that's the game. That's the game these days. So, you know, then you hear, Grant, then you hear today, all these United fans who, by the way, every two or three weeks when, you know, they come up with a result, uh, oh, we this is the greatest football, it's so exciting. Again, fans, you know, like, so fickle, you know, and, and today, what's their line, all these, you know, these United fans? Well, at least, you know, we're in a better place than when he took over from Mourinho. Listen, you and I, with the money that he got to spend, we could have played uh, pin the tail on the donkey 
with uh, the transfer market list of players and come up with better player trading than he has. Maguire is one of the worst defenders I have ever seen uh, at that level. Uh, one of the worst. Varane in uh, inside football, everybody knows that his knees are gone. Did you see him yesterday? No, he's a crock. Yep. You're not going to hear. You're not going to get a lot of performance out of him. Um, you know. You know. Uh, Sancho. Why do you buy Sancho when you've got uh, Greenwood about to explode? You've got Marcus Rashford that you know coming back from industry should be what he should be. You've got Cavani. Um, um, let's like the, the thing about Ronaldo last minute. That's opportunism again. I think a mistake. Uh, you see his body language yesterday. That's. Um, uh, and, and what's the reason for all this? The reason for all this is there's no football department. This this is a financial organisation that was bought with a leveraged buyout uh, where um, managing the free cash flow to pay director's fees and to pay uh, dividends to the Glazers, absentee landlords. How did people think this was going to end? You know, and, and you know, uh, it ended the most painful way. You're at home to your greatest rivals, and they end up after 50 minutes taking pity of you. That is devastating, Grant. And and they they deserve it. And the fans aren't blameless either because I've been watching them this year. Anytime there's a little flicker of a good performance because they've got wonderful players up front. Oh, this is a great team. Good old Ollie. They don't want to believe the truth. And Paul Scholes told them exactly the truth four days ago. And bang, there it is. That's United. What what happens now, Rog? What happens with Ronaldo? Um, what happens with Solskjaer? Where do they go from here? Well, Ronaldo will stay. He'll he'll probably have a say in who the new, the new manager is. Right, but but what's his what's his attitude now? Because we know if there's one thing we know about Ronaldo, he doesn't react well to getting thumped five nil and playing in no. a team that are going to play like that. That's that's not. He's not the kind of guy who's going to knuckle down and drag the team up with him. It's just not. He's an individual at the end of the day and he's going to be worried about his brand playing in a team like that. Is that going to cause problems in that team? Well, um, let's see. If Solskjaer stays, then yes. All starts kicking off the off the walls. Yes, yes. But I'm assuming that Solskjaer isn't here by the time this podcast goes out, Grant. We are recording this yeah, on Monday. Yeah, it's hard to see. Right, so yeah, let's assume Solskjaer. So, so you're asking a question, what does Solskjaer do now? He goes back to find his level, which is probably second division Scandinavian league somewhere. Because uh, to, 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 that's, you know, he took Cardiff down. And before that, he, I think it was Molde. Uh, he's not a manager. He's just not a manager. Uh, uh, so he'll, he'll go back to recreational football in some shape or form. Um, let's assume the scenario is that um, somebody serious comes in, Antonio Conte, right? Um Ronaldo sits down with Conte. Conte sits down with Ronaldo and says, look, we can win again. Look at the squad around you. See that guy over there? He's called Edison Cavani, um, one of the greatest centre-forwards of his generation. Um, you know, we, we, we can... Uh, what I'm saying is Conte has got results uh, both at club and international level with much weaker squads than what United have got just now. I'm thinking particularly of Italy uh, in the Euros when he had a nothing squad. I'm, I'm thinking of when he went to Inter and turned it round um, and his first year at, at Juventus. Um, so uh, Ronaldo's not the problem if they get in a serious manager that can that can speak to him like the professional that he is. Um, but let, let's not let's stop there. You know, um, Ed Woodward's on the way out. He's already tendered his resignation. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the whole uh, Super League thing, tr- truly embarrassing for them. Given the way the capital markets are now and the valuations that are and everything, I would be strongly advising the the great the Glazers to take top dollar, you know, as soon as possible and get out of dodge, uh, because unless they put in a serious chief executive that that brings in serious football people, this is just going to get worse. There, there's there's no way you can turn this round with investment bankers at the head of a, a major football club like United. No, no, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, we'll see what happens, Roger. I, I, I don't know if Ollie will be out by the time this podcast goes out, but once again, you may be proven to be right. I certainly don't think if he, if he is listening to this podcast, still as the Manchester United manager, maybe the next one, he won't be. But um, yeah, another thing that uh, caught my eye this week, Roger, have you seen the, um, the two young Barcelona lads and the buyout clauses they've had put in their contracts? Have you seen yeah, this? I did, I did, yeah. You've got Ped, Pedri, Pedri and 
is it fatty? I don't know what I call yeah, it fatty. Yeah, yeah. Farty, yeah, yeah. farty, fatty. Um, yeah. You know, teenagers, tremendous potential, both of them, both with billion-dollar buyout clauses. Now, is this just inflation? Is this just we're worried about losing them? What is this, Rog? What's this a sign of? Because it must be a sign of something. Um, not what I think you think it's the sign of. <laughs> um I, I, I'm not going to say it again, but you know, we said Barcelona was bust. It was really in the hands of the bankers. Yeah, said but this, this was, I mean, listen, if they could get someone to buy these two, they're, they're out of debt. <laughs> well, but see, this isn't, the, you know, like, so, so listen, Barcelona is bust. Barcelona is really not a competitive team anymore. They won't get out of that Champions League group, I don't think. Uh, they've lost their major player, uh, they've lost their golden generation, and they've lost the Cantera. You know, like, they don't have a huge amount coming through. Not, I mean, anybody that, that you speak to about the Cantera, it's lost its philosophical kingdom now. You know, you may have one or two come out, but it's not the way it was in the DNA before. So what I see with these two clauses, by the way, these are two great players, is messaging to the fans to say, Messi, Messi's gone, but, you know, these two are worth a billion. So we can't be that bad after all, are right, we? Right, right, right. It's just, it's just um, narrative, means nothing. Nobody will ever use those buyout clauses. And the day that those kids want to leave when they get a, a, an agent like Raiola, um, they will leave. You can't hold, you cannot hold a world-class player against their will. Not in 2021. You just no, can't. I, I agree. So, so it's, agree. it's just be a negotiation anyway. But that's, that's in my opinion, that's signaling to the fan base to say, we're still a big team, we're still got world-class players. Fact is, they have got a really, really poor team. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two really poor, gigantic teams we've got on the radar. What, have you got anything else for us this week? Um, yeah, I enjoyed the... Yes, this is just from yesterday. I enjoyed the, um, the Tom Brady 600 touchdown. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, the only reason I saw that uh, was because Portnoy, who I follow, was immediately on this. You know, he came out with a tweet that said, you do not do any deal there and then. You go home, you leave the stadium, and then you start negotiating. And I'm thinking, well, what's going on here? And obviously, yeah, you, you join up the dots. And what happened, folks, is that the receiver of the 600th Mike touchdown... Mike Davis. Yeah, Mike yeah, Davis. He threw the ball into the crowd. And this lucky, lucky gentleman picked it up, and it turned out to be the 600th touchdown ball. And then you saw Tom Brady pleading with this fan to get it back because obviously it's important and everything like that. It was really funny. Tony Roma, the, um, in totally politically incorrect style, was saying, yeah. you, hear, you hear that, you know, say to him that if, 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 uh, if I can sleep with your wife, <laughs> I'll give you the ball. Hey, right, Rog, in fairness, I think what he said was have a date with Giselle. I think you may be extrapolating there, mate. <laughs> Get, get the puffer there. Um, so anyway, the, the point is, is end of the story, end of the story, this loser gives the ball back. You know, and, and like, you know, today's story is that that was an asset that was worth half a million. 500 grand that he... Yeah, um, that was would, the estimate. Yeah, he just, I don't know, starstruck or whatever, and just said, okay, there's the ball. Like Portnoy says... You get out of that stadium, you get home and you wait for your phone to ring. I mean, what was he thinking? You know, Grant, that, that, I'm sure that found, sounds really, really uh, nasty, but literally it's just a repetition. Remember that film, The Fan, uh, with Robert De Niro, who was the crazy baseball fan, and uh, I think it was Wesley Snipes was the player, and they end up spending uh, an evening together because he saves his son, and uh, Wesley Snipes, Snipes says to, to says to him at a certain point, Look, I'm glad you're not one of those crazy fans because these people are just such losers. Um, that clip, that clip is underreported in the sports industry because it is so, so true. I'll, I'll, we should try and uh, look that out because um, it, it's a great piece of dialogue. I thought this would be your... Um your view on this. Oh, don't and, tell and again, me. Don't, no, 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 no. But listen, no, listen, listen. No, you're right. You're, look, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. However, this is this is the point, right? This is what sport's all about. He's in that stadium as a fan of his team. And when one of your heroes comes up to you and says, dude, can I have that ball back? The fan takes over, not the not the businessman, not weak, the guy. That's who's, weak. <laughs> you, it's weak. You, it's can, like you, you can call it what you will, Rog. But um, 
you know, it, it's, it, it, I totally understand why that guy did it. I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but I get it. I get why he did it. You know, Mike Davis comes up and says, dude, I need that ball back. It's Tom Brady's, your idols, 600th touchdown. You kind of go, oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I totally get why it happened. It's like I said, I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but do you remember, oh. you probably won't remember this. Back in, um, I guess it was 2003, four maybe, when the when the Red Sox won the World Series, breaking their 100-year-old curse. And uh, the first baseman, Doug Minkowitz, caught the final out of the night, which won them the World Series. And he refused to give the ball back to the team. Now, here's a guy who isn't a fan. He's a player. And let's face it, he's a player for hire. He's, chances are he's not going to play for the Red Sox for the rest of his career, and, and, he, and he didn't. But uh, he would have been in his early 20s, I guess, maybe early 20s around that time. Kept the ball. The team wanted it back. He refused to give it back to them. He received death threats, all kinds of things. In the end, I think if I'm right in remembering, he, he agreed to donate it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. But here's a guy who isn't a fan, and to your point, he said, screw you, I'm keeping the ball. It's <laughs> just worth a lot well, of money. you know, let, 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 let's extrapolate and be relatively provocative here. You know how fans are always complaining? Um, oh, they take us for granted. Oh, they never ask us our opinion. Oh, they change the kickoff times. Oh, the pricing. Oh, the Super League. You know why that happens, Grant? Because cool. you can. Because yeah, the fans... Oh, sure throw the ball back. They're they're saps. I mean that's 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 provocative. Like I'm exaggerating to be provocative. But you know what I mean? If you know that you've got a compliant person on the other side of your business, unless you're St. Francis of Assisi, you're going to take advantage of that. Now fans will be screaming their heads off when they hear this. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you the facts. I've been in enough boardrooms. I know that's the thinking. Oh, we'll just get them another player. They'll be fine next week. We'll buy some new name. They'll fall in love with him. I've heard that yeah. a million times. And you again, every people, every population gets treated the way they deserve. Yeah, but right, right, this is this is probably why the whole thing works, right? If you think about it. If the fans didn't have that attitude, sport wouldn't exist, right? It wouldn't exist because exactly what the conversation is exactly like the ones you just talked about. If the fans didn't just go along with it and fall in love with someone else and have blind loyalty to the team, none of this would work. These owners better hope the fans remain like this because if they well, don't, no, it's no, a huge see, problem for them. But you, see, but the, you see, this is why this time is so interesting. I would say you would be 100% right if there wasn't a new customer in town. And that new customer is Hollywood. Not really bothered. You know, you just give me the, the notifications. Just when the story. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, give me the story, give me the beef, give me the, the narrative, give me the celebrity, the, the celebrity boyfriends and girlfriends. Uh, give me the, the link to the music and let me buy the NFT. That's a completely different type of attraction. And, and again, I, 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 I understand everybody not accepting that, but I'd like them to understand that a little bit. That old fan, the one that was taken advantage of, the one that was romantically, let's say, manipulated, um, will die away, uh, uh, and and you know, sport will will thrive because it will become stroke bar entertainment. These years that we're living, the last years of the traditional way of sport, they will become seen as quite quaint. Come back to your baseball story. It's just not sexy. There is no way you can sell a two-hour sport to, to a TikTok generation. You know, uh, you've got to understand what happens in TikTok. It's in, out. If it's not attracting in two or three seconds, these kids are gone. And you're trying to sell them uh, three hours, um, you know, where somebody throws a ball every so often and then there's another five minutes before the next pitch. Something It's not going to work. So, you know, again, that's more groundman's territory. But, you know, that's this Tom Brady ball thing is like, it's, it's such a great example of the, the changes that are going on in the sports industry. Just seeing that guy there. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, Rog, we've come to the end of another hour, mate. The time has rocketed by, as it always tends to do. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah so, so time to wrap things up for another episode our thanks to you out there for listening to us we appreciate you tuning in every week you can follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already you'll find us at Entertained R you'll find me at TTMYGH and you can find myself at RPM Como as in the lake as in the lake alright matey uh, back to it for me I will talk to you soon careful there uh, at Vegas Grant you know I know I know you've right. got jobs to get done but you know be careful just, just be careful will do much. Take care. See ya.